Hey, how's it going everybody? This is Chris. Welcome to episode 10 of the Essential X Lapsed. We have hit the double digits. And uh, hey, maybe this show will actually make it to the triple digits. It uh, stands to reason that it might, huh? Anyway, let's get into today's book, which is, believe it or not, an issue of X-Men. Uh, it's been, boy, three or four episodes since we've come back to the flagship book. But uh, we are back, and uh, you'll never guess who the villains are here. Like, never in a million years. Um, this is X-Men number seven. Set a September 1964 cover date. Stories called The Return of the Blob, written and edited by Stan Lee, pencils Jack Kirby, inks Chick Stone, letters Art Symek, colors the unknown colorist, and 12 cents is our cover price. Now we open with the X-Men's very, 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 very sad graduation ceremony. Now, as mentioned back in X-Men number 6, after Xavier tricked them into believing he was without powers in order to get them to wait on him hand and foot, and by them, I mean Jean, uh, the world's strangest teenagers were all told they'd passed their final exam. So, after only six issues, our kids are already Xavier alumni. So, this ceremony is basically... Mm, the kids holding blank prop diplomas and wearing mortarboard hats for a photo op, in which Professor X takes center stage. He's the main focus of this photo, which uh, tells us a lot about what we might need to know about old Charlie. Now, Cyclops thanks Charles for everything he'd done for them, and Xavier kind of brushes it off. He suggests that all he did was provide direction, because they had all the talent already. Now, Gene follows up by suggesting that without Charles, they'd just be misfits, Boy, um, he's got them pretty well pimped, does he not? Hmm. Okay, so the photo is snapped, and our youngest graduate, at only 16 years old, Kid Cool, he unrolls his diploma, only discover that it's blank. Hank reminds him that, hey, it's just a prop, and he suggests that he probably wouldn't want a diploma that declares him to be a fully certified X-Man. Xavier then pipes in to inform them, and us, that uh, he actually does have a real diploma for them. Uh, these diplomas state that they met the requirements of, of passing a normal prep school. And that kind of reminds me of that... I can't remember if it was Lobdell or a Siegel Kelly subplot where, um, like, Beast is dodging all these phone calls from the Board of Education who kept wanting to pay the school a visit to update their records. So that was a fun little story from what I can remember. Now, I mean, Beast, of course, he would go on to get his Xavier School doctorate or... Whatever. Now, while on the subject of Hank McCoy, he suggests that they send an autographed copy of their photo to Magneto, with an inscription which reads, Always thinking of you. Um, hmm. Beast, that might say more about you all than it does him. Anyway, to keep the good times rolling, Professor X informs the crew that he's going to be off the grid for a little bit, and so he'll have to choose a new team leader. So, uh... I guess they haven't had a field leader to this point? Okay. Scenes shift from here to a dilapidated mansion high upon a windy hill. You'll never guess who lives here. You'll never... Okay, you will. You will. It's the Brotherhood of Evil Mutants. I mean, who else do the X-Men fight? Anyway, it's here that we see Mastermind trying to convince the Scarlet Witch to basically shack up with him. And he does his illusionation gimmick to make this dump look like a hoi polloi palace, and he even makes it look like it's, you know, in different countries. So basically, Wanda could have it all if she wanted. Now, Wanda ain't buying it, 
and with good reason. I mean, I'm just reading this, and I swear I can smell Mastermind from here. He looks pretty gross. Now, she then wonders when Magneto will arrive, and this ticks all M.M. off. And so he grabs her by the arms and proceeds to shake her around a bit, which, I mean, that's not very current year of him. Then a chamber pot, or something not unlike a chamber pot, crashes against the wall next to him, and this has been thrown by Magneto. He then grabs and slams Mastermind into the wall. Mastermind promises that he's loyal only to him, but Magneto doesn't care. He has no use for loyalty. All he worries about is fear. Quicksilver, upon hearing the crash, immediately thinks something happened to Wanda. And in fairness, that's usually the case. And, I mean, in further fairness, Quicksilver is kind of, kind of obsessed. Now, he and Toad come bounding into the common area. And so, here's the thing. Magneto has called this meeting to order. I guess he didn't actually call any meeting to order, but uh, he's got news nonetheless. Now, he's figured out a way to take over the world? Nah. Become fabulously wealthy? No. Head up a mutant nation? No, no, not yet. He has figured out how to defeat the X-Men. Okay, maybe he's just as obsessed as they are. Speaking of whom, let's head back to the school. There, Professor X has asked Cyclops to go on a walk with him to a never-before-seen area of the mansion, a hallway where not even the X-Men were permitted to tread. Now, Scott's led to a room which houses Cerebro. Now, this is our first look at the machine, and boy, has it come a long way. I mean, this thing is just a rat king of wires, pipes, tubes, and who's what's its And Xavier fires up his pipe, and he explains what this crazy-looking machine is. It's a complex ESP machine. That's an extrasensory perception, don't you know? Now, while Charles suggests that he himself doesn't need this to keep track of mutants, the person who replaces him as team leader will. And it's here where Scott is officially given the position as team leader of the X-Men. Now, Scott feels like he might be the third most qualified. After Beast and Angel, of course. Certainly not Bobby or Jean, because... One's only 16 years old, and the other is a, you know, girl. We jump ahead to later that night, where the non-Cyclops X-Men all decide to head out on the town. Before they leave, however, they pop into Professor S's office to congratulate him on being a big ol' nerd and teacher's pet. It's here that Scott reveals to his teammates that he was actually considering quitting the X-Men. Now, if we learned anything from Warren getting punched in the face with an atomic bomb... It's that threatening to quit the X-Men is fighting words. Now, not only was Cyclops thinking of jamming out, he was also going to do a little bit of doctor shopping in hopes uh, that maybe he could cure his dread optic blasts. So I think this is probably the first mention of a potential cure for a mutantdom. Now, Beast suggests to Scott that he's joined them out on the town. It'll do him some good. Scott, however, cannot, because he's got the Cerebro to babysit. And so the rest of the team head out, leaving Cyclops all by his lonesome with the beeps of Cerebro. From here, we shift scenes to a carnival, and it's the same one we went to back in issue three. There, Magneto walks among the rubes in full costume, because, well, you see, the rubes will think he's just a carny, and not the evil supervillain who's probably been on the cover of every American newspaper a whole bunch of times over the past few months. Anyway, we shift our attention a bit deeper into the fair, where Fred Dukes is putting on an exhibition of his girth-based powers. See, he can't get dragged away by an elephant, and he also gets shot in the gut with a cannonball. 
you know, the usual stuff. Magneto sees this and then um, attempts to mentally probe the blob, because that's something Magneto can do, only to discover that there's a mental block in the way, which we gotta assume was what uh, Xavier lodged in the blob's brain plate back at the end of his first appearance. Now, the blob's boss wanders up, and so Magneto introduces himself as Power. I am Power. He then traps the boss in a cage. The boss shouts, Hey, Rube! Which is apparently a carny rallying cry. And as such, a bunch of carnies rush out to see what's up. Magneto ain't worried, though. I, I mean, as he, he, you know, he didn't come alone, first of all. And I mean, even if he did, why would he sweat this? It's a bunch of circus people. Now, the Brotherhood of Evil Mutants uh, easily take out the Carnies. The Blob attempts to lock Magneto into a full Nelson, which appears to be the go-to wrestling hold in the Silver Age. Magneto responds by pulling up a hunk of land that Bob is standing on and then sending it and him flying headfirst into a nearby trailer. Now, this bonk to the head manages to shake loose the cobwebs, and Fred Dukes remembers that he's not only a mutant, but he's also an enemy of the X-Men. And as such, he agrees to join up with Magneto's Brotherhood. Now, at that very moment, Cerebro begins to ping. Now, this is quite the adorable and horrifying machine. It's got its own roll call of known hostile mutants. And they include Magneto, Toad, Mastermind, Quicksilver, Scarlet Witch, Blob, and Unknown. I guess the poor Vanisher just keeps getting jobbed out here. So here, the Blob button begins to glow. Does that make sense? I mean, first, why aren't the rest of the Brotherhood's buttons glowing? Because they are there. Second, just because Blob had a mental block making him forget he was a mutant, does that make him not a mutant? Uh, You know, I I don't think Stan the Man figured some 40-year-old idiot would be giving it this much thought some 60-ish years later, so I should probably just let it be. Anyway, Scott dutifully checks the X-Men's sign-out book to see where his teammates have gone for the night, Then he radios Warren on his car radio gimmick, because Warren is wealthy, you see. So, you might be asking, where have the X-Men gone? Well, let's check in with Bobby and Hank first. They're at the Coffee-A-Go-Go, and the place is absolutely overrun with... (sighs) Beatniks. Gross. Um, Now, speaking of gross, Hank decides to free his feet from his booties to give them some room to breathe. Now, the size of his massive tootsies is enough to cause all of the beatniks to take notice. One suggests that he'd like to paint Beast's feet. Some stoned girl suggests that they start a cult based on worshipping Beast's feet, and they were going to call themselves the Barefoot Beats. (sighs) The beatniks then hoist Beast into the air and carry him away, all the while singing about his feet. And, of course, we don't kink shame here. Bobby does not join in on the creepy festivities. Uh, He instead hangs back to chat up the lovely Zelda. And I mean, she was drawn by Jack Kirby, so you might rightly assume that lovely might be somewhat in jest. She basically looks like a gangster in a dress. Um, Anyway, Bobby suggests that if she twists his arm, he might learn to like her. So I guess the clues were there all along, huh? Now, before Bobby can seal any deals, Warren pops his head in to grab him for their next mission. We see the beast across the cafe having a creepy face drawn onto the bottom of his foot. Hank, upon seeing Warren, bounces his way out of there. Warren sees this and suggests, hey, you know what, maybe don't bounce around because it might reveal that we're mutants. 
And Beast raises an eyebrow as if to say, Dude, everyone in that place was stoned or tripping off their ass. You think they even noticed me? And he's got a point. Next stop, Magneto's factory, where he's assembled his newly jumbo-sized brotherhood to ready themselves to take out the X-Men. Then, to the mansion, where Scott is dutifully directing traffic. Bobby ices himself up so quickly, it shatters his clothes. Whoops. Uh, Cyclops takes a moment to flip on a radio, and it's a damn good thing he does, because Magneto is threatening them over the airwaves. You see, he gives them an address to meet up for their challenge. And so, a short time later, and I'm kind of upset it says a short time later and not minutes later, because uh, I was hoping that was going to become a running gag of Stan Lee considering everything to be minutes later. Oh well. So, a short time later, the X-Men's helicopter arrives at the factory. Magneto destroys the chopper. Just takes it apart. Which, I mean, if he could do that, why didn't he just crumple it up with the X-Men inside it, killing them immediately? I, I, I guess maybe it's more about the sport for all Magnus. Anyway, Bobby creates an ice slide so our heroes safely arrive on the ground. And once there, they're confronted by the blob. And all of their offense towards him is pretty ineffective because, I mean, the blob is, uh, you know, he can't be moved. He's, he's a pretty formidable opponent. Then Magneto launches a half dozen torpedoes right at the X-Men. Bobby manages to make some ice tubes to send them, well, up and probably over into a nearby neighborhood, uh, killing many, many innocent people. I guess we'll just let damage control worry about that. That's kind of what we pay them for. Off to the side, Beast chucks some mud in Blob's face and then manages to dropkick him right off his feet. Angel approaches Magneto, who at this point has surrounded himself with a protective barrier of torpedoes. Then Quicksilver runs in, prompting Jean to comment that he's far too fast for them, despite the fact that they say this every single time they meet with him and still somehow manage to catch and defeat him. As a matter of fact, Jean immediately nabs Pietro in a telekinetic bubble, I mean, like in the very next panel, so yes, you can catch him. Wanda then throws up a gang sign, hexing the X-Men into tripping over their own feet and freeing her brother. Off to the side, Bobby's got the blob encased in ice. And I mean, when has this ever worked? And indeed, it doesn't work here either. Old Fred busts out of the block and begins making his approach toward our heroes. Just then, Magneto releases another salvo of torpedoes. Now, the rest of the Brotherhood warns that the blob is directly in their path, and Magneto does not care a whit. He even goes so far as to suggest that the Blob's already served his purpose, and uh, he doesn't have much more use of them. And so, the Blob winds up getting slammed with like a half-dozen torpedoes. And even though he was already bracing for the impact, this actually takes him off his feet. The X-Men check in with him to make sure he's okay. Meanwhile, Magneto and the Brotherhood load into a Magna car to make their escape. Now, Cyclops goes to blast the thing out of the sky, but he is stopped by Warren. Warren reminds Scott that Wanda and Pietro are on board this Magna car and uh, reminds him that they're not entirely sure that they're really all that bad. Then the dust settles and Fred pulls himself up to his feet. The X-Men invite him once again to join their side, and he, once again, declines. This time he vows not to deal with any mutants ever again. Good, bad, or ugly, he wants absolutely no part in it. And we wrap up the issue with the X-Men getting ready to walk all the way home, since, you know, their, their helicopter is in many, many pieces. Next episode, we go on a journey, and we join Magneto in a guest spot of his own. I think probably his first ever guest spot, when he's going to tangle with Thor, and uh, 
Well, that was an issue that finally prompted me to subscribe to Marvel Unlimited. I promised myself I would never do it, but uh, indeed I did, because, well, I want to make sure that this is as all-encompassing a project as possible here, where we cover all of the notable appearances of the X characters, good and bad. I mean, because, I mean, nowadays, we can't tell the difference anyway, so uh, I guess Magneto's as much of an X-Man as, uh, well, basically any of the X-Men. So I wanted to make sure that was included. It's uh it's a fairly fun issue. Um, I had to read it on my phone, which isn't the funnest way to read comics. Um, the purpose of getting Marvel Unlimited was to make some use of my ancient iPad that I haven't used in many, many months. I haven't even turned it on for many months, but uh, spent a little while yesterday digging through the other house trying to track this thing down with designs on you know, starting a subscription to Marvel Unlimited, reading this this book we're going to cover on the next episode and uh, not having to worry about really having to do much digging, you know? And so I, I get it. It's dead. It takes like two hours just to get it to like 4% battery after it was plugged in. That's how how long it had been on the, off the charge. And so I get it to go. I get it to go on. And I go to the App Store and I find Marvel Unlimited. I click download and it kind of just hangs there. It's like, okay, so I shut it down, bring it back up, do the same thing again, and it kind of just hangs there. And then third time, same thing, it just hangs there, but then finally it uh, it prompts me to put in my my password. It's like, oh, okay, good, finally, we're, we're on our way here. And I put my password in, and it spins, and it spins, and it spins, and it says, uh, you you know, this, this app requires uh, iOS 11. And I'm like, oh, okay, so let me update the iOS, and no, can't do it. Uh, the highest mine will go is iOS 10.3. I guess it's a fourth generation or something like that, and Apple being Apple is already on its, like, 75th generation, I believe. So, yes, I'm I'm obsolete insofar as iPad, so I had to use my phone, which is a little bit newer. So, uh, yeah, I had to read a Thor adventure on my phone. So this is to say I'm currently in the market for a uh, for a tablet, so if anybody has any recommendations, please don't hesitate to let me know. Now, speaking of people letting people know things here, uh, we have a letters page. And boy, do we got a lot of letters. So let's get into them here. First one's from Mrs. Laura Franklin in New Brunswick. Now, she is a 33-year-old unashamed comics magazine enthusiast who uh, got her husband to begin reading the X-Men. Now, they both love Professor X, and they threaten to stop buying the book completely if he's written out. So, uh, whoops. It's uh, quite the issue to print this missive in, cause considering uh, Xavier decided to go off the grid today. Uh, now, Stan, he writes in, he promises that the prof will be back when we least expect him. Which is to say when he's featured on the cover of X-Men number 9 in a couple months, probably. Next, Jim in Indiana. He wants the X-Men to wear more individualized costumes, and he just thinks the X-Men are swell. They're the second best thing that Marvel's putting out next to Daredevil. Now Stan takes this opportunity to ask the other fans what they feel about giving the X-Men some new duds. And, uh, you know, for, for those of us in the know, uh, this might be like a monkey's paw sort of thing in the making here, because uh, some of them costumes they get in, the, in like 20-some-odd issues are going to be very, very ugly. Next up, Jerry in California. He likes Cyclops the best because he acts the least like a teenager. You see, Jerry is not a fan of teenage heroes, especially not the Human Torch. 
Stan kind of sidesteps the criticism here to ask Jerry if he's got a problem with teenagers or just the Marvel take on them. So uh, I guess ball's in your court, Jerry. Next up, Frederick in Bangkok. He writes to tell Stan that at the Bangkok embassy, they get some Marvel mags. The X-Men, Avengers, Fantastic Four, and Spider-Man. He loves them, and he always looks forward to the new issues. And Stan thanks him. Next, Larry in Oklahoma. He feels the X-Men are great, wonderful, and stupendous all at once. And once he finishes an issue, he feels as though he's been put in a trance. Okay, dude. Let's, uh, let's, let's calm down a little bit. Next, Rocky in California. He likes the Danger Room training sessions, which I, I guess that's why we keep getting them. Now, he thinks the Brotherhood outside of Mastermind are corny. He asks why the Scarlet Witch is shown wearing green on all the covers. He misses Iceman having boots. He thinks Beast's glasses and haircut look stupid. And he wants Cyclops and Marvel Girl to get together. Now, Stan addresses the Scarlet Witch coloring error by suggesting that they turned it green on the cover on purpose to better balance the look of the cover. So, wasn't a mistake. They just thought green went better. Okie doke. Um, he also says to give Gene and Scott a little bit of privacy. You damn pervert, Rocky. Come on. Give him some time here. Uh, that's the end of the letters, but we do have some special announcements. Now, Stan announces that the Marvel annuals are out, so buy them while you can. Stan asks the readers what they think of Cyclops as team leader, because this is, you know, his initial outing in the role. And finally, he also wants to know if folks are sick and tired of Magneto and the Brotherhood. Um, if I may, from 60 years in the future, yes, <laughs> we are quite sick and tired of Magneto and the Brotherhood. Stan closes out by promising us some special guest stars and surprises in the next issue. And, uh, well, I don't know if there are or not. I know uh, we got Eunice the Untouchable, I believe. Um, I guess we'll have to wait and see. But that'll do it for the uh, letters page and, I guess, the proto-Stan soapbox, where he's given us some special announcements. So what do we think about this issue? What do we think about this issue here? Um... We're really starting to see that uh, the X-Men and Magneto are kind of just really obsessed with one another. You know, when people talk about, like, Batman and the Joker, you know, it's like they only exist because of one another. You know, they're so obsessed with one another that without the other, one would go away, right? Here we start with B saying, hey, let's send a picture to Magneto saying we're thinking about him. And here we have Magneto with his brotherhood saying, like, okay, our next mission, beat the X-Men again. I don't want to get into that whole definition of insanity thing, but, I mean, it hasn't worked to this point, Magneto. Come on, pal. It was pretty neat seeing the blob again, and I, I really like how he is just so sick of both the X-Men and the Brotherhood. He's just like, I want no part of you. You know, the X-Men, you, you guys are a bunch of nerds. Magneto, you're, you're, you're a dick. I don't want to be with anybody here. I'm just going to go back to uh, getting cannonballs shot, shot into my sternum. But he will actually go away for a little while. Now, of course, he won't be gone forever. He'll be back maybe when we least expect him. I think that's when uh, when all Silver Age characters come back, at least according to uh, Stan's soapbox there. Let's see, what else here? This is the first time we saw Cerebro. That was pretty interesting, considering what we know about Cerebro now. And uh, the fact that it's not just a helmet, it's not just a uh, you know little console, it's a room full of... Weird cables, coils, wires, just nasty stuff. And um, I just love how quaint 
the little buttons on the outside of this thing are where we have our you know our, our massive roster of hostile mutants <laughs> and it glows when one of them shows up but I mean as I mentioned there during the synopsis it really didn't make much sense that magnetos didn't glow since magneto was like right next to the blob it's kind of weird but I mean uh, like I said during the synopsis uh, I think we're not supposed to be thinking quite as hard about it but I, whatever the case I thought it was pretty adorable pretty quaint and uh, definitely just one of those uh, charming Silver Age things that certainly wouldn't fly nowadays. What else we got? We got Scott officially named the leader of the X-Men here, which I kind of feel like he was always the leader. Um, maybe not officially. It's kind of weird how Xavier is... Like, he makes himself the focus of everything, right? Even in the graduation photo, uh, Xavier's front and center... He considers himself to be the leader of the X-Men, uh, though in fairness, he has basically won every fight for them to this point using his abilities here. He basically gives his team enough rope to, to hang themselves before stepping in and saving the day on the last page. It's kind of his uh, his MO. I think he has a uh, a lot to overcompensate for, our, uh, our friendly professor. Let's see, we have uh, some signs of the 60s here. We got beatniks. Wow. Um... Now, if you've listened to this channel for any amount of time, you'll know that I have a fascination for Street Poet Ray. Now, Street Poet Ray is uh, kind of un- undescribable or indescribable. It's a sort of... that's not even a comic, really. It's, it's basically rap haikus with uh, illustrations that Marvel put out around 1990 or so, um, featuring a character named Street Poet Ray. And we did a cosmic treadmill on it. If if anybody wants to talk about Street Poet Ray, I can talk about Street Poet Ray for a long, long time here. I always thought, growing up, like people would make fun of Street Poet Ray. And I thought that Street Poet Ray was going to show up in one of these old uh, Coffee-A-Go-Go scenes. So <laughs> I remember the first time I read The Essential Uncanny X-Men, I'm looking through this thing for Street Poet Ray. And no, he's not there. He's not there, because Street Poet Ray is something altogether different. These beatniks are just like a bunch of stoners who, oh boy, I mean, they got, they're obsessed with the beast's feet. I mean, it's, it's some bizarre stuff here. Really quirky and moderately unpleasant. That said, I love the beast being kind of a fish out of water there, trying to be, you know, intellectual, calling out the, you know, the rap poems, the, uh, the haikus that they're spitting here as just sounding like they're reading their, uh, their shopping list and then having a waitress say, yeah, that's exactly what he did. That's why he's a genius. It's, it's fun to see Stan kind of poke some fun at that and have the Beast kind of deliver those lines where he's like, what am I doing here? Until, of course, he's hauled away and has his feet painted. Let's see. Let's talk uh, Wanda and Pietro. Now, it's becoming more and more clear that uh, they're not all that bad, right? Uh, the X-Men are even holding back from attacking Magneto, fearing that they might catch you know, the Scarlet Witch and Quicksilver as collateral damage. We had Scott with a clear shot at the Magna Car, but uh, Angel's like, hey, wait, you know, there, there are some people on there that might not be all that bad. And actually, while we're talking about them, I would like to pose a question to you all here, um, an appeal, really, uh, because we know that not too long from now, uh, Quicksilver and the Scarlet Witch are going to join the Avengers. Now, I want to keep following them, since they are at least right now, very eccentric characters, but I don't want to cover every single issue of the Avengers because I don't think that's necessary. 
We're going to probably cover the one where they join the Avengers Since that is a, a fairly seminal issue And it has a lot to do with Wanda and Pietro's next step In their you know heroic evolution So we're probably going to cover that one But after that, basically going to play it by ear If anyone out there is uh, much more learned Or much more recently read on Quicksilver and the Scarlet Witch And can point me to some Avengers stories that we should not miss Please let me know Because uh, I would like to cover as much of the seminal stuff as, uh, as humanly possible So yeah, them two ain't too bad, right? Um, now finally, maybe the, the main takeaway of this issue uh, Is the fact that, I mean in hindsight anyway It's the fact that the X-Men graduated here So they are no longer students They are full-fledged X-Men uh, Which, it's funny, you think about groups like the New Mutants And how they've been around for... 40-ish years now, and they still, some of them still haven't graduated, but uh, the X-Men, the original X-Men have graduated in six issues, so very interesting stuff, and a fun little read. I uh, hope you all are enjoying this uh, Silver Age dip that we're taking here. It's sometimes a slog, but uh, I feel like we always walk away from the issues having learned something or having been reminded of something that we May have forgotten, so this is a value-added endeavor At least that's what I keep telling myself But that is all I have to say about this issue of X-Men um, I would love to hear your guys' thoughts If you would like to get a hold of me for any reason You could do so many different ways You can find me on Twitter at Ace Comics You can find me on Instagram at 90sxmen You can shoot me an email over to weirdcomicshistory at gmail.com Or you can call into the X-Lapsed hotline at 623-396-JERK for blog posts and show notes, you can head over to chrisoninfiniteearths.com. You could join us on Facebook. Our little group is 90s X-Men. And for all your Chris and Reggie comics commentary listening needs, the entire archives of uh, the channel, you can head over to chrisandreggie.podbean.com, which is available anywhere the internet aggregates noise. And while you're there, if you like what you hear, or at least appreciate the effort that goes into it each and every day, I would love for you to spread the word, share the show, tell a friend or two, and uh, maybe ask that they do the same It would really, really help me out And uh, it would really make me feel good about myself So uh, I thank you all in advance And uh, I thank you all in the present For allowing me to be part of your day-to-day It really does mean so, so much to me It's hard for me to even put it into words So thank you all so, so much And until next time, as always I'll talk to you again real soon See ya <laughs>